Welcome to the Gaining Momentum Podcast with your hosts, Abby and Megan. This is the podcast where we try our best to parent our kids for the world we want them to grow up in and the world we live in now. Hello, Gaining Momentum community. Welcome back for another episode. We're so happy you're here. Abby, I'm so happy you're here. Mm-hmm. How are you? How are things? Things are okay. Things are, I feel like every time you ask me this, it takes me by surprise. Like, I, like whoa, <laughs> which I think is also probably a problem because probably a problem. Uh, <laughs> it kind of tells me that I'm not really ever stopping to think about how I'm doing as much as I should maybe. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like it should be a readily accessible answer instead of something that I'm like, ooh, good question, Meg. <laughs> <laughs> How am I? <laughs> but it's also like a complex question often, right? Like mm-hmm. it's often because we have, I mean, this is a very timely conversation because we are recording this during Mental Health Awareness Week and Mental Illness Awareness Week here in Canada. And Mental Health Awareness Month in Canada. But yeah, it's timely. I mean, we, you know, we we love we love mental health. We're always talking about it. Um but it's an interesting question when you ask somebody who, how, how they are, because like our knee jerk reaction is to be like, ah, oh, good. Yeah. Um, but like what's actually like going on for most people is far more complex than that. And it's often not often for a lot of folks also. And I think this is maybe why you have that reaction is it's like sometimes not one way or the other. It's a lot of complexity. Yeah. And it changes moment to moment. So in this exact moment, when you ask me, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm happy to see you as always. And I'm excited for everyone to hear the episode that we have today. But before we get to that episode, how are you? I'm okay. Um, Very similar in this moment. Very joyful to be sitting with you in this Zoom space. Um, That fills my cup. Um, Yeah, anxiety is like an ongoing ebb and flow. And it's, you know, like probably a lot of folks can relate to that in the couple of years we've just had. But like for me, it's always kind of been part of my wiring. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that something your kids notice? Do you know? That's so interesting that you asked that because um, actually just last night, like I've started to move my own counseling into the evening, just Mm -hmm. logistic stuff. Um, And it's kind of one of the first times because I do it from home through like Zoom. Mm that like my family is like around, like not in the room, but you know, they're like at home (laughs) while I'm, while I'm doing a counseling session. And so I said to my son, my oldest, I said, I have counseling tonight. Um, and it's so interesting and timely that you asked that because he was like, why do you like not, we talk about mental health all the time. It's very transparent in our household. It's like a very uh, common, common part of our discussion about well-being. Um, but I don't think I've ever been so transparent about my own experiences. Okay. Um, because it was so like on the table, right? Like I have this, this is an appointment I have tonight. You need to leave me alone. Um, <laughs> and they're like, and mom, you're he, saying that six times a day. There's no way you possibly uh, have an appointment. I think you I just wish. need some alone time. Oh, <laughs> well, imagine where I'd be if I had counseling six times a day. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So it was really interesting. I was just able to have like a very open conversation with him about like why, why I do counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's for me, it was like, really important to normalize. Like we talk about it all the time, Mm -hmm. but, um, 
like to really like sit in it and like embody it. It was a different thing. And he was like, when he asked me why I was like, well, I, I tend to struggle with anxiety. Like, do you know what that is? And he was like, yes, there's different kinds of anxiety, like fight, flight, freeze. Cause <laughs> they've been doing like a lot of programming around this in school. Oh, good. Um, and I, yeah. So I was like, that's impressive. I'm like, so you kind of know what that means and like what, where that come from, that comes from. And, um, so we had a, a really good, but it was a little disheartening at one point. Cause he was like, he, he, he did like do this thing where he like connected it to him where okay. he was like, oh, it's because of me, which I thought was really interesting. And I was like, whoa, whoa like, where does that live? Like, wh- how does that come up as like a, and so I was like, so happy we were talking about it. Cause it allowed me to redirect that. Mm-hmm. Like, no, like no kid is responsible for the, the mental health of the adults in their life. Mm-hmm. Like that was like a very important moment to be able to say that, but mm-hmm. it was just interesting. I was like, Ooh, what is like, what am I communicating that? Like, you would think that this is about you. And I mean, sometimes it is. <laughs> and it's also his developmental stage, right? Like that's, I know your child's like very advanced, like intellectually, but they're still like emotionally and socially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like that's just the phase that he's in at his age where like, of course, everything mm-hmm. kind of connects to me. Mm-hmm. What about you? Are you having those conversations? I know yours, yours is a little younger, but he's also very articulate and smart. And yeah, we are. We have um, introduced what we call a spa tent. Ooh. And it's a place that we have in our home. Well, it's an actual literal tent um, where <laughs> my child can go to process big feelings because he has a tendency to like go from zero to, sorry, I'm, now as soon as I say it, I'm like zero to 60, like a quarter of a mile. And there's a big kind of like a Fast and Furious <laughs> reference. But he tends to go like um, get to big feelings really quickly. And then when he's in the big feeling zone, he sometimes will act out in ways that make him feel really Uh, uncomfortable afterwards or that he doesn't appreciate. And to be honest, Mm -hmm. I don't appreciate. So one of the ways that we're trying to work through that is when he recognizes that it's coming, he can go into his spa and he has Mm -hmm. like a bunch of fidget toys in there. There's some lavender scented pillows. Um, There are some tracks and some books where he can kind of go just to process and then figure out what he wants to do with those big feelings. Cause our key thing is like, we're not doing this to get rid of the big feelings. Big feelings are important and they communicate a lot of things that we need to know. But the problem mm-hmm. or the issue is when you, your big feelings take control of you and you're doing things that you don't want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so far like hit and miss, of course, <laughs> but you know, he enjoys having it and our cat Richmond card really enjoys having it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Um, two things. One, can you come and make one for me, just me <laughs> not my children? Because that's incredible. And two, I mean, what a lucky kid, man. Like. I'm just like, imagine every kid had people in their life. And I think a lot of kids do, but like, what a game changer to like have such a intentional practice around feelings and like, like brain health and, um, you know, like very developmentally appropriate. I just want to like commend you. It's that's an amazing practice. And I think people will take a lot from that. I think it's like, I want to do it. I want to do it immediately instead of getting mad and yelling like that's a much better way (laughs) well thank you I want to accept the compliment but I also need to pay it forward because I didn't come to this on my own I was struggling with how to help my child manage his big feelings while also like trying to avoid the lash outs um Mm -hmm. so then I crowdsourced ideas from my village of amazing friends who are also parents or interact a lot with small children in their lives and Mm -hmm. so I kind of took bits and pieces from what everybody told us and used what I thought would work for my son and this is the end result That's amazing. So thanks village. 
Yeah. No kidding. That's why we build. That's why we build community right there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe what we'll do is we'll put it on the Instagram. Um, we'll put a call out for other strategies that folks use with their kids and we'll, we, you know, we can even, uh, crowdsource to a w- wider net maybe. Okay. Um, speaking of crowdsourcing to wider net, uh, this is like the worst segue ever, but it's all I can think <laughs> about. So everything's a segue to me. Are you watching squid yeah. game? I am. I just started. How what far are you? I'm two episodes in. I don't think it's a show that I can binge watch. Like I'm enjoying it and I'm intrigued by it. And yes. I'm like, obviously I love a good, like pop culture moment that everybody's like, what do they call it when everybody's watching something at the same time? Bandwagon. But no. like, yeah, it's like, I don't know, whatever monoculture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, that's, a, that's a much more academic word than what I said. <laughs> Bandwagon like, jumping. Cause you know, like game of Thrones, everybody watched yeah. it in the moment in real time and everyone was talking about it and you couldn't miss it. I feel like that's what squid game is because mm-hmm. I, I kind of heard about it and was just like, okay, whatever. Like didn't know any details. And then like, mm-hmm. you know, it's been gaining momentum and it's yeah. been, <laughs> <laughs> nice like, plug, real zeitgeisty. And so yeah. I was like, okay, let's give this a go. And whoa, I know, I know. And it's so interesting because a, I love it from a mm-hmm. representation mm-hmm. perspective, like to have a Korean show that's just like dominating in this yeah, way, global domination, global domination, number one across the board Two, it's wild. Yes. Like it's a wild ride. It's a, it's, it's an amazing, it's a great premise. It is a great premise. It's gruesome. I'll yeah. say that it's supposed to be, but I'm like, it's also like listed as like horror comedy, which I think is kind of apt. Yeah. I was like, yeah, because it's so over the top and gruesome that it's like it, it's so it's absurd. Right. And there like are like comedic moments. So okay, for sure. how would you like, give me a one liner description of the show? Oh, good one. Um, Okay, ready? Yes. Oh, what, what was that show called? Um, Hunger Games meets Yo Gabba Gabba meets um, <laughs> Black Mirror. Yeah, hundred percent. That's it. Aesthetically, it's got like a Yo Gabba feel to me. <laughs> that's amazing. I've heard people describing it as Hunger Games meets Black Mirror. That's the first Yo Gabba Gabba reference, <laughs> but it's so on point, Meg. I like it. And a on lot. brand, it's on brand. For us. But I, I just can't stop like thinking about that aesthetically while I'm watching yes. it. If yes. people are familiar with the children's program, Yo Gabba Gabba. <laughs> um, yeah, I would like to add that other intersection into the description. <laughs> I like that a lot. It's yeah, it's intense. And it's it gave me that same feeling after the first episode as the first episode of Black Mirror when I was mm-hmm. like, that was a lot. I need to like yeah. sit with this for a sec. I can't just jump right into the next episode. That's how I felt with um, this. I may destroy you. Yeah. I can't, I'm not, I'm like, I have, I have to watch, I had to watch that show and I'm, I'm still actually making my way through it. It's amazing. And it's important. I have to watch it very parsed out. Yeah. Well that show came out in like what, like spring or summer of 2020 and it's still yeah. being talked about. It's still yeah. like still think pieces are being written about it. Obviously Michaela mm-hmm. Cole's being celebrated because she is totally like a phen- she's a female goddess. Yeah. And yeah, but like, that's hard to do now to have people still care about a show this much later. Mm-hmm. And I came to it late because I didn't have access to it until mm-hmm. recently um, through like Crave or HBO or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of why I'm a bit late to the party, but I'm like, it's, it's incredible, but I can't, I can't take it in, in large doses. Yeah. It's an app title. The show in fact did destroy me. Yeah. It's it literally like um, every episode I have to just sit and like deep breathe and like, <laughs> It's like so important. And I'm like, it's like you're enjoying it, but you're not, you mm-hmm. know, like 
I don't know how to describe that's kind of how I feel about squid game it's like I'm enjoying it but I'm also like horrified by it yes enjoying it but also uncomfortable and it's like making me question things I feel like just in the span of like a few minutes we pulled out a lot of real random references (laughs) yoga hunger games black mirror squid game I may destroy you like that jot down those hashtags jot down those hashtags (laughs) but yeah on that note yeah speaking of squid game maybe this pandemic has turned into a squid game no kidding that was you know what great segue nailed that segue (laughs) yeah we um we had the pleasure of speaking with caitlin who is a frontline nurse working in the fourth wave of this pandemic in icu environment uh we wanted to draw folks attention to what that experience has been like for frontline workers generally, but particularly in this case for healthcare workers who are um, treating COVID patients and really like struggling through this moment. And I know we hear about that and we know it, but like what we really wanted to focus on was like personalizing, humanizing, and like mm-hmm. getting people to really sit in it, in it as like a, a human experience. Um, so I hope that we hope the episode did that. I think it did. It was a lovely conversation. And do you have anything you want to add? Yes. I just want to add a quick definition of what a frontline worker is. Cause I know that's Great, a term yeah. we've been hearing a lot, um, mm-hmm. in the past. Oh God, I do this again in the past since the pandemic started. I don't know what time is. I still Time's don't know what time irrelevant. is. I may never mm-hmm. know what time is. It keeps mm-hmm. on slipping into the future. <laughs> But a frontline worker is someone whose job is to perform services and or functions that are considered essential to preserving life, health, and basic societal functioning. And Mm -hmm. in a lot of frontline workers, they also have to physically show up to do their jobs. They can't Mm -hmm. do it from home. They can't work remotely there. That's what it is to be on the front line. Yeah, really good definition. So with that, uh, we hope that you take as much as we did from our conversation with Caitlin. And uh, we'd love to hear what you th- what you think and where your thoughts are about um, folks that are working on the front line during this moment. So we have a really special guest today. We're really excited to introduce my sister cousin, Caitlin, <laughs> to the show today, to the pod. So Caitlin's an experienced uh, RN who's been working in the medical field for almost a decade. And over this impressive career, she has worked in the emergency room, the ICU, and most recently, she's actually been working in endoscopy, endoscopy, endoscopy. I did it. (laughs) All that uh, said, uh, Caitlin is also the mom of a gorgeous, lovely, brilliant 18-month-old daughter. And ultimately, we've invited her on the podcast today to share about a bit about her experiences as a healthcare professional right now working in the ICU at the peak of the fourth wave. And just take some time to share a little bit about how this has impacted her, her family and parenting during this super impossible, difficult time for everyone, let alone if you're a frontline healthcare worker. So Caitlin, welcome. Thanks for coming on and chatting with us. Hi, thanks for having me. We're super happy to have you. And Very happy. And the sister cousin of Megan's is a friend of mine. I don't know actually a sister how that friend. would go. <laughs> yes, there you go. It's a sister friend of mine. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, and we're so fortunate and lucky and grateful that you're willing to chat chat a little bit with us about um, what your experiences have been. I want to start with a, with a simple, how are you? How are you doing? Yeah, doing, uh, doing pretty good. Uh, there's definitely some challenges uh, in my work life, but otherwise I, I <laughs> seem to find a good balance and uh, yeah, doing pretty good overall. That's good to hear. Good. Oh, I'm really happy to hear that. 
Um, so before we jump into like the COVIDness of it all, because I'm sure that has like maybe a tiny bit to do in your day to day now at your job, <laughs> it's a little bit, but if you could tell us a little bit about why you wanted to be a nurse to start with and maybe why you still want to be a nurse, if it's changed at all and what your journey <laughs> journey in nursing has looked like till this point. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I guess to be as cliche as possible, I would say why I started out wanting to be a nurse was that you, I wanted to help people, uh, to make a difference, uh, in their lives or, and I guess I didn't really know what that looked like or how that, Mm -hmm. uh, could come to be. And then over the last, uh, seven years that I've been working, um, I've really found that to help people means to kind of connect to them in a really scary time of their life. Mm -hmm. Um, so whether that, when I started my career, I started in emergency, Um, and when you find, when you meet people in emergency, they're clearly not in a time that they expected to be in. Uh, yeah. So just helping people, uh, through, through scary times. And, uh, I think that's where I've really kind of found my niche as a nurse, um, aside from all the kind of the hands-on and the skills part of things. You're like making me want to choke up. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've, I've heard about, I've heard, you know, like, obviously we've talked about our careers and all this stuff in the past, but like to hear you frame it like that, it's like very lovely and kind of like emotional. Yeah. And it's, it is like, that's really like, I've never really thought about that before in the way that you just framed it. Like it's such an intimate Mm -hmm. um, position to be in, to be meeting people. And probably a lot of the time, like, you know, the, one of the worst moments in a lot of, for a lot of folks in their life. And like, you're there as like a steward in that moment. Yeah, I would say so. And then in, especially in ICU, that definitely stands true because a lot of people don't expect to find themselves there and with their family members mm-hmm. there. And mm-hmm. you can even connect to families or and make that a little bit less scary for them or make mm-hmm. it a little bit for them. Then that's then I feel like I've done a good job. Yeah. Meg yeah. mentioned that you moved from emerge to ICU to endoscopy and then mm-hmm. back to ICU. Are you back in ICU because of COVID? Yes. So um, when I came back from my maternity leave, I had left the ICU and I had chosen, I was lucky enough to be able to choose a job in endoscopy and got a position there. Um, the reason I had left ICU is it, uh, it wasn't very lifestyle friendly as a mm-hmm. mother of a young child. Mm-hmm. Um, there's very few part-time positions available and all of the positions would be a 12 hour shift. They don't mm. offer hour shifts there. Mm-hmm. Uh, as my partner also works a 12 hour shift work as well. It just wasn't really an option to work in ICU anymore. So right. it was an area that I could still be at the bedside doing hands-on skills, interacting with patients, um, but a little more lifestyle friendly where I was working eight hour shifts. They're closed on weekends. Sweet. Oh, nice. <laughs> that is sweet. Um, when you, so you talked, you talked a little bit about uh, like the catalyst for that being um, becoming a parent and, and making that shift sort of in your career. Um, ca- can you talk a little bit about like how was there, has there been any other ways where becoming a parent has changed you as a professional, as a nurse, like have, have you found that it's, had an impact on you in your professional life as a nurse uh yes yeah I think it has just in 
maybe how I kind of like view patients now. And I would say more so now that I'm back in ICU because you mm-hmm. do get patients on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you're kind of seeing your patients now as they're not just a patient who is facing this illness in a bed, um, but they're a brother or a sister or a wife mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a mom. Somebody's child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're definitely kind of seeing them as more holistic. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. imag- I imagine it would change things. Where were you yeah. going to say, Abby? I wanted to like, circle back a bit. To, what does that look like then when they're like asking you to come to ICU? Like how does that call out work? Yeah, so yeah. Um, so basically I got redeployed. And so since I did have a previous ICU experience and I didn't leave the hospital that I was working at previously. So I was just kind of uh, okay. on the next, I, w- I went down to the second floor right and uh, but uh so they found me and I got redeployed (laughs) mandatorily uh back to the ICU so there was nothing that I could say about that Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a couple of options they were actually very accommodating as far as my schedule went like I did explain to them the reason that I couldn't work there anymore six months ago was there was because of scheduling and that's why I had uh, left so they were actually able to accommodate uh, my new schedule with the eight hours okay mm-hmm. uh, but yes I, I am being treated as a full ICU staff I'm taking on a full assignment um, and yeah and I didn't have a whole lot of say about mm-hmm. it there are some of my co-workers in my new unit so endoscopy they have volunteered to mm-hmm. put forward their time and to to go to ICU and um, but yeah. What does that feel like though? Like when you're for you and you, you probably kind of heard like the buzz, like in the air that this might be coming just because of like the circumstance that mm-hmm. the, like the level of need when it actually happens, like, what does that feel like for you? Yeah. So it's a, it's pretty nerve wracking. Um, just kind of not really knowing like, like what's going to happen and are they going to accommodate me? And if they don't accommodate me, what am I going to do? And mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so that there's a lot of nerves and then, mm-hmm. uh, in some way, like I do know where I'm going. I know what the shifts look like. I do know who the managers are. So like that, um, that kind of helps ease that, that anxiety a little bit, but not a lot. Um, but even with yeah. like the, co- the COVIDness of it, like now it's like, you're also going into like a very like intense, mm-hmm. scary environment. Yeah, that was something that was kind of interesting. And I kind of had to grapple with that because um, in what in some ways you do really want to go and help and be a part of the effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in other in other ways, you don't really want to subject yourself and, and your family to that. I mean, mm-hmm. like what I think I'm taking care of COVID positive patients mm-hmm. and being around them. And um, and that's a risk. Right. And you you don't want to subject your own family to that or yourself. Um, but yeah, so it was very mixed. It was mixed feelings going back and there was a little excitement too. in at first, just knowing I'd be with old coworkers and it was Mm -hmm. an area that I really did enjoy because it is really challenging and you do get to use a lot of your critical thinking skills and you get to see a lot of very sick people and be part of an effort, Mm -hmm. um, that is really, I don't know. It, it can be really inspiring to be there as well. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering then, like 
you kind of touched on it a little bit, but how, like, how does safety factor into your day-to-day now in a way that maybe it didn't before? Uh, so we are wearing um, a lot of PPE, personal protective equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to enter the hospital at all, you need to be wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, then when you're on a patient care unit, you need to be wearing eye protection at all times. Uh, you're allowed to remove that when you're eating your lunch and you're in a designated like sitting area. Okay. And then to enter into a patient's room. So if a patient were positive for COVID, um, they would have their own. Well, not necessarily. They don't have their own room all the time because we have had to double up. Right. Well, with the same variant. Mm-hmm. Um, however, they would have a room with a door. Uh, and then you would be wearing a gown, gloves, an N95 respirator, and like a face visor before entering any COVID patient's room. Wow. So how does that work like in terms of making a connection with your patients and making connections with your coworkers then when you can't really like see each other? <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Um, it's, it's really hard. Um, you don't really realize how much kind of the lower half of your face contributes to <laughs> people. but yeah. uh, you, you can't see emotions you can't mm-hmm. you can't see what people are saying really and a lot of times um our patients our patients themselves will be on some sort of breathing apparatus so whether that's in their nose in their mouth um taking up it's an entire mask some there's different types we use but we do use lip reading a lot oh wow Uh, and so like if yeah and you just kind of get and it's really hard to communicate if you can't see someone's mouth Mm -hmm. yeah no kidding patients um as far as staff members go so keep in mind that we've had i don't even know but so much of our probably up to a third of our workforce ha- is redeployed staff so we don't know each oh. other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so but when you're kind of popping your well you don't pop your head out of an isolation room but <laughs> <laughs> when you peek out of that isolation so, <laughs> when, I, when i knock my when i knock on my glass window and then i'm asking my coworkers to get me something that i've forgotten or if i need help um in an emergent situation and they can't they can't see my face the door is closed um they have come up with some speaker systems from inside to outside the room they're not great i'm picturing Um, a dj i'm guessing that's not what's happening (laughs) wow wow, wow. (laughs) this request is coming to you from room 4b (laughs) we got our aunt caitlin needing another (laughs) syringe in guest room four (laughs) is that what it sounds like it's totally like that isn't it Uh Yeah. I mean, it's like, we don't mean to joke either, but it's just like, it's so intense. And like, you know, for folks that aren't in your profession and are not in the trench with you right now, like it's a little bit hard to like even wrap head around like what, what you guys are dealing with on a, on a daily basis. And I'm finding like, as a, as a person who loves you and who's like your family member, like knowing it's difficult to think like of what your, how hard your days are. And like that you're in that space and there's all this risk. And so we want to talk a little bit about pre-pandemic and mid-pandemic. So how has your home life changed as a result of being a frontline worker during a pandemic? Yeah, so I guess um, 
kind of first and foremost, just my shifts times have changed a little bit. So I do start now at seven in the morning. So that's um, affected my whole family. So I'm taking uh, my daughter to childcare prior to starting work. So oh, wow. we get an early start on the day. Um, no kidding. How does that even work? Like, how do you find childcare that opens that early? Well, there is one very close to our hospital. Um, <laughs> And they start, they open at 6.30. So we're there at 6.30 in the morning, knocking mm-hmm. on the <laughs> And uh, yeah, and then I'm able to make it to my shift for seven. Um, outside of that, I would say I just need maybe a little bit more time to kind of decompress when I mm-hmm. get home. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I find that in the last couple of weeks, I definitely haven't been as present at home. I'm, I am a real planner, which I do think works well for me being in ICU Mm and what attracts me to the ICU however uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in my schedule and just kind of um, I only have a schedule for the next like two or three weeks and I don't know if I'm going to be going back to endoscopy in three weeks Mm -hmm. or in three months I it's very difficult to kind of make plans Um, since I'm no longer on my home unit I can't make any changes or trades to my existing schedule right so therefore I'm having to find child care outside of our paid child care that's only part-time uh, just it's a lot more difficult to kind of line everything up mm-hmm. um, especially when I have no idea how long I'm going to be there last time I was given maybe a couple days notice that I would be going back to my old unit so okay mm-hmm. wow that's not a lot, especially when childcare is fickle and like, it's not like, just like easy to be like, okay, we're going to change it up. Well, even just from like a headspace point of it. Yeah, definitely. So it, that's what I've noticed the most is that I just, I'm often like kind of not present. I'm just running over my schedule. Okay. What's this week going to look like? Okay. What's next week going to look like? Um, who's going where on what day? And, and it's hard mm-hmm. to shut that off. And I think when I'm at work in the ICU, I'm using that part of my brain. And so right that muscle gets stronger and then I, I can't turn it off when I get home. It's, it's planning all the time. <laughs> it's like the Hulk version of planning. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to wonder, like, I'm not going to like, um, like therapize you Kate, but like, you know, part of that is also like when things probably feel like very out of your control and like all over the place, it's like one way of feeling like you have some say, or you have some control in what's going on. Um, in a very chaotic and unpredictable time. Do you think that has anything to do with it? Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would have said that myself. (laughs) (laughs) The words out of your mouth. But like, so hearing all that, like, how do you, like, that's a lot and you're processing a lot and you just said like, it's taking you longer to decompress and you're not feeling as present some of the time. So like, how are you taking care of yourself in Mm -hmm. order to like recognize that and like, just be sustainable as a parent and as a professional and as a person. And as a human being, because those are not your only two identities. Yes. Thank you, Abby. Yeah, yeah um, I think uh, and I could do better at this, but um, yeah, just making time for things that I do enjoy. Um, I'm, I don't participate in social media, which I think has really helped me over the last 18 months. Good life um, choice. <laughs> yeah, just f- trying to find time to do things that I enjoy by myself and then also find things that I enjoy with my family too so mm-hmm. um yeah I, and once you kind of get into the fall and the winter I think a routine is easier uh whereas the summer you're a little more yeah kinda, 
on the go. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so true. And I'm just going to take this moment just to quickly remind people because mental health is so important and it is mental health awareness month. If anyone wants to cycle back to our first season, we did do a couple episodes on mental health and we have a ton of resources. So if you need help with self-care or reaching out, to find someone to talk to, please go on our Instagram or check out those episodes because it's so important to take care of ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great reminder and great tie in. Um, everyone can use that reminder right now and it's timely, but, and especially like folks that are, um, not especially, but in addition to folks that are, you know, working frontline and have had a lot of like shifts and challenges in their work that's bleeding over and never ending pandemic. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Now it's time for us to talk a little bit about our momentum shout out. Abby, you saw something cool. Tell me about it. Yeah, I see something cool most days of the week, actually. This week, I am shouting out the parent who I see day in and day out, roughly the same time every day, going outside with their child out in our community. I look out my window and there this parent goes, pushing his child along. Some days the kid's um, on a tricycle. Sometimes the kid's in a stroller. Sometimes the kid is walking. Sometimes the kid is in one of those, you know, those like push car things. Mm-hmm. And it's just really lovely. I don't know what their story is. I don't know anything about these people except for I just see a parent spending special time with their child every single day. And I just feel like it's really sweet. And I just get this real, like, lovely, quick glimpse into their life from one mm-hmm. side of my window across to the other. And so I want to shout out that so parent lovely. for making sure you um, build in that special time with your child every day. That's lovely. And I want you to know I'm building a whole narrative about them in my mind right now. Oh, yeah. Um, but they have a whole story, a whole backstory. <laughs> I've got names. I've got, I've got backstories. I've got favorite foods. That's I've got amazing. <laughs> I love that. Good reminder to really make that time. So like, let's, let's circle back for a minute. I'm wondering if, can you like walk us through what a shift is like right now, especially in the ICU where you have like a COVID ward and you're managing the high positive rate and high hospitalization, right? Walk us through a shift. What is it like right now? What's normal? What's not normal? What do you want people to like hear and know about what that's, what that, what's happening there? Uh, yeah. So we kind of start our day, you come to the unit um, and we've actually taken over Uh, two extra units on top of our existing ICU Um, you check your board and see which which ICU you're in that day so um, we've taken over the pediatric ICU and the cardiac ICU for their space and we've had to they've had to buddy up onto other units Um, yeah so you would first figure out where you are that day Um, you go to your patient bedside so prior to the pandemic it would be normal that you would have on the entire unit you may have a handful of nurses that are assigned to patients uh, but the the high majority would have had just one nurse to one patient Mm -hmm. Uh, now it's so common that definitely more than half of the nurses have two patients in their assignment Uh, And it's not unheard of that there would be one nurse to three patients. That sounds dangerous. Three to one. It's so it is very scary. Um, And it, it, they could be three very sick patients Mm -hmm. or three 
one very sick and two not very sick but it's it's impossible to maintain the same standard when you're caring for three patients that you would normally just have one yeah you can't times yourself by three it's not like that's the reality like you're being asked to do three times the work in some cases we do have a lot of redeployed staff that don't like we that don't have ICU experience um so definitely around and helping they would not be assigned uh like a patient assignment but there are things they can do uh there are definitely limits to what they can and can't do as well um so they're helpful but not they're not Mm -hmm. a replacement to someone that that just has the icu experience Mm -hmm. um yeah so you may be assigned two, maybe three patients, hopefully not three, but it does, it has happened. Uh, you just, and then you just go about your day. So you're doing your 12 hour shift. Uh, we kind of break it up into three, four hour segments and you're doing kind of an assessment every four hours. Uh, we do this one procedure and it's where you actually will flip. So this is for a patient who is in a respiratory distress. So someone with COVID, um, often qualifies for this but where you would flip them onto their belly Mm -hmm. I mean actually the idea is that it will the backs of your lungs will have more surface area so you would actually get a better oxygenation with that part of your lungs facing up so the idea the idea is that you'll breathe better you'll get better Mm -hmm. oxygen your blood by being on on your stomach um so Prior to COVID, you may have one patient on the entire unit that is like that, uh, but now it's kind of every third patient. You walk down the hallway and they're in this prone position, we call it. Mm-hmm. So then your jobs become more physical too then, hasn't it? Because if you're doing that three times oh, a shift. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Oh my God, you're like a bodybuilder. Yeah, well, so they stay. They would stay on in that position for up to 48 hours, I think. Um, it is, it's just very dangerous to actually get the patient into that position. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can't see their face from outside the room. You can't see their breathing tube. Uh, Oftentimes they would have, um, large IVs going into their neck too. Um, and so it can be, it can be really dangerous to get them in and out of this position. They need, that would be a, you need to have one nurse to one patient because they need like full, full monitoring, um so yeah so that's definitely become more common and and more intense to take care of um yeah um I can't speak to the whole unit just because we do have so many patients right now Mm -hmm. and with the three units and entirely um I don't know a good summary of all of the patients but I can speak to the ones that I have taken care of a lot Mm -hmm. of them are maybe in their 40s and 50s um wow and just people that don't really have a medical history, they've been fairly healthy throughout their lives and just kind of never, never thought that this would make them that sick. Mm-hmm. So that be that's, and then that's covering our COVID population. However, we are still running a, an ICU. So right. we're still dealing with um, the car accidents, the overdoses, um, the sick patients that have infections from something else uh sure maybe we've we've canceled a number of elective surgeries but there's still people are still getting operations and Mm -hmm. you know so we're still taking care of an entire icu like that stuff doesn't stop just because the pandemic is going on 
Mm-hmm. What's that ratio look like? Like how many COVID patients do you have to like a stat, like a, somebody that would have been there anyway for another procedure or had an accident or whatever? Yeah. And I'm speaking in, uh, in general, like, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. And it, it can change. It changes every 12 right. hours. Right. So frequently, um, maybe two thirds of the patients would be there because of COVID and one third other purposes. But again, I, I'm not quite. Yeah. Positive. We yeah. won't like go and like pull the numbers. I just was like thinking from like a general, you know, perspective, like that gives, that gives a lot of perspective because when you talk about there being three ICUs right now, basically it's, it almost would seem based on that ratio that there has to be two extra ICUs for COVID patients. Yeah. 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 So to give an example at, at our maximum at my hospital, and I am at one of the bigger hospitals in this province, normally before COVID, we would staff 30 beds. Um, Our maximum that we've had to staff would be 65. Wow. We're we're staffing this from one staffing pool. So my God, it's, uh, it's challenging. Yeah. That's like the understatement of the millennia. What a time to be alive and like doing the work that you do. Where's like, what is your plan? If when we finally get on the other side of this, like, what are are you going to go on vacation? What are you going to do? How are you going to just like (laughs) move forward in life and reward yourself for like, cause you're doing amazing work and all of your patients are lucky to have you. And we're grateful that you're even talking to us right now because you just got off of a shift. Yeah. I just want to like double down on that. Caitlin just worked a shift and then was like willing to come on and talk to us. And also I want to say, she's going to come see me. But after that, (laughs) going to Disneyland, right? (laughs) I was going to say, I'll probably just work my shifts in endoscopy. And (laughs) like, that's wild when that's the vacation. Yeah. And I'll be happy to be back on my, my smaller, less intense unit. Can I ask another question? Um, And say whatever you're comfortable saying or whatever you're and leave, whatever you're not. Like, what are some of the things that you're hearing? Like you, you mentioned, like folks just never thought that they would get this sick. Like, what are some of the things that stand out for you or that are things that like you've heard from patients or their families that are like within the COVID pools that like have impacted you or that were like sort of like just like notable? Can they even, are they, are they so sick? They can't even reflect on like where, you know, what's happening and where they are. Um, yeah, so a lot of them do have the breathing tubes in, so you can't communicate. So you're often talking to their families. Um, I think it's what surprises me the most is just like the the shock that their family member is just so sick. Mm-hmm. And they just like don't understand that, like, that they may not survive this. Mm-hmm. Like there's just like a disbelief that it could have gotten here. Yeah. And that, and, and then you do kind of wonder, it's like, well, this has been going on for a year and a half in my province, there's over 2000 people that have succumbed to this virus. So it's just shocking that people don't quite understand the depth, but, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but again, how can you, unless you're experiencing it? What do you think that is? Like, what do you think that block is? Um, I feel like that's human nature though. People until like the calls coming from inside the house, people don't get it. Yeah. 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 Until it's like really real and human and personal. 
it's hard mm-hmm. to like wrap your head around something that maybe seems abstract, I guess. Especially if it's scary because people are so good at just like hiding their fear and hiding their discomfort by just pretending mm-hmm. everything's okay when it's not. Yeah, I think it's probably just easier not to to deal with it and let, mm-hmm. until you have. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, it's just like that that it makes sense to me. And there's like there's empathy in that. And I understand that. But it's just like hearing the impact on the system and, you know, the people that are caregivers that are like, you know, like just busting their humps is not even a value is not even a like equitable enough way of saying like what you're doing every day or a representative. Um, yeah, it's just like the impact is such a massive ripple effect because like, what's the vibe in the hospital? Like, I know it's like everybody's overworked and it's, but what are you finding is like the vibe in the hospital right now and in healthcare? Yeah, I feel so on kind of the, the front or I guess where I'm feeling it the most is my, my direct unit. Um, they're pretty, everyone's pretty tired. Mm -hmm. Um, However, so that would be maybe my direct unit. Um, but then it's being felt just like on, on every unit. So for example, my endoscopy unit, they're operating at 50%. They've had to close half of their procedure rooms because mm-hmm. they've sent staff away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and same thing, we're pulling staff from the pediatric ICU. So now they're able to accept less patients. We've had to pull staff from the operating rooms from almost every unit I would say is feeling this effect. Uh, We're sending patients back to non-ICU units sooner than they should. Um, And then those units are sending patients home sooner Mm. than because Mm -hmm. we we don't have space. We don't have the resources. And Mm. then that, and then it's just a vicious cycle because those patients now end up back in emergency and their have now worsened and, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's just being felt everywhere. Yeah. How do you keep going? Like, why haven't you quit? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. I, I have really good days and some not so good days. Um, but I think, I don't know what keeps me going. I do. I love the work. And, and when I go to work and I see my coworkers and they're all facing it the same as I am, it just keeps you going. Mm-hmm. You guys, yeah. I feel like everyone, you're going to be in like a trauma bond with all of your colleagues. Mm. Oh, that's a, that's, that's definitely a thing. And, and you kind of come up with some different coping mechanisms <laughs> that, <laughs> or, or, you know, but, but definitely going through, I guess, challenging situations. A lot of times you can come on the other end. You come out stronger. <laughs> I know. And I think like, that's totally possible it's just like that this scenario it feels like it's it's unrelenting and it just keeps I mean we're going to get to I have to just say it because like it it has to be the case like this is the reality I'm projecting we're going to get to the other side of this Mm -hmm. but it's like like it's a it's a ways and how's everyone going to be when we get there Mm -hmm. yeah yeah there will be some long lasting effects and to be honest I, I was absent from the hospital for a good year of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Absent from the hospital present, having just had a child. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, you, good point, Abby, like 
you know, you also, if I know this is a little off topic, but like it is in the COVID realm, like you had a baby right at the beginning of the pandemic, literally right at the beginning, like you had a one month old when shit hit the fan with the pandemic. Like that, that's like, it's not like you've not been dealing with this. Like that's almost like a different trench that you were in and now you're thrown back Mm -hmm. into this trench. So like that wasn't an easy experience either. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a a number of coworkers say like, Oh, like, thank goodness you're not at the hospital. And it was true in a lot of ways, but then there were other things that I was going through that were, I didn't maybe anticipate Mm -hmm. uh, having a maternity leave with a pandemic. Yeah. Not like being able to create support systems and connections and see other people because Mm -hmm. I mean, babies are cute and wonderful and lovely and all, but like, sometimes you got to see a different face. Yeah. 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 They're pretty boring too in the early (laughs) days. Not going to lie. It's like, what else do you do? What else do you do? (laughs) They're not great conversationalists either. (laughs) So it's not like you were just chilling in like a super like casual way either during that time. Yeah. How did you go from like, cause just, I, sorry, but I have so many questions for you. (laughs) I hope you are free for the next six hours. Um, We're just going to talk until you start your next shift. I hope that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. You don't need to sleep, yeah. right? That's fine. You're good. <laughs> but just getting from the headspace because going back to work, like end of parental leave, going back to work after just becoming a parent for the first time or the 10th time is bonkers. But then how do you get in the headspace going back to work, knowing that you're going back to work in a global pandemic on the front lines? Yeah, it was I like didn't even know the logistics of it. Um, I arrived on my first day. I had to take CPR again. And the guy, there's screening. So half of the doors are closed um, to the hospital. So you have to go in the right door. So mm-hmm. I was late. I went in the wrong door and it was locked. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I arrived to the front and then he says, well, oh, have you completed your screening? And I say, what? I don't know what that is. Yeah. And then that, uh, and he just couldn't believe them, that I didn't know what the screen that has a name and I didn't know what that was. I said, you're going to have to walk me through this because I haven't been here for the entire <laughs> pandemic. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, just the logistics, I didn't, I, I had missed it all. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have mask when I left and now it was a hundred percent of the time you're wearing masks. And then eyewear was introduced shortly after that. And, so it's like a profoundly different place than what the one you left. Endoscopy, not as much, um, mm-hmm. but I see you definitely. Yeah. I keep thinking it in my head as like pre and post apocalypse. Like I'm picturing mm-hmm. it as just like, yeah, like a desolate, weird post like zombie apocalypse. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like I myself saying like before. before yeah. Yeah. The old, yeah. In the before times. Mm hmm. Yeah. And then it's wild. It's like I, the phrase that I just keep saying all the time lately is like, what a time to be alive. Cause it's like, it starts to become like normalized in a weird way. Where do you find like, you forget like what you used to be able to do in this role and what it used to be like. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, you're you're yearning probably for that, but it's like, what was that even? I don't even remember. We're like, we've been in this for so long now. Cause I find like, I, that's like, I find that in parts of my life that are not like <laughs> comparable to being a ICU nurse. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely, I've had to relearn one area that I'm finding that very true in is I've had to relearn my coping mm. skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the other day I had met a friend outside of work just in the evening. And I said, like, 
I, f- I forget that I can even do this. I forget that we can even like make plans to go somewhere and like do something that I used to do that would have been so normal before my child and before mm-hmm. COVID. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then now like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. And yeah, I hope so- that that like filled your cup in some way. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It's interesting because I think like for folks like those before times things that like we're cup filling and normal and just like yeah. almost taken for granted. Yeah. Like are are at once I've heard anyway, and I even find this like very fulfilling and like um helpful and like wonderful, but also like unsettling sometimes because it's like, oh, are we allowed to do this again? Like, or even like we've forgotten how to like be with people. Mm-hmm. That's a big one for sure. Yeah. And if anyone like ever has any like challenges with like social anxiety, it's like then you're returning into like something that you've, you're almost out of practice with. And mm-hmm. so like that can bring up stuff. Like it's just a very complex time. I think people like all the way around, let alone if you add this layer of like your, your professional life is like literally in the trench of this war that we're in with this pandemic and like where it's at. So I think it's a lot for anyone, but it's like, especially like, yeah, you must be very like, are we a lot? Like, it's just, it's a trip kind of to end up like seeing a friend and hanging out and like feeling like slightly normal for a minute when you know, like nothing, everything is anything but normal. Yeah. 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 It can be, it can be weird. So what do you wish that the general public people who don't work on the front lines and aren't working in hospitals, what do you wish they knew about what it looks like working behind the scenes during a pandemic? Um, so I think I would, I think what surprises people most and what I think they should know would just be like how, how physical, uh, the work is and how physical it is for patients themselves to have an ICU experience. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's draining on the patient. It's draining on it's intense. It's called the intensive care unit for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of times, patients may fare well from the ICU, but it's a long, it's a long haul. You don't just get discharged and get to go home. You're, you're facing adversity for, for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I think working in that environment, um, it's intense. Yeah. Mentally, emotionally, physically on everybody. No kidding. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, that's like, no joke. And I think that that is a part that people don't realize is that like, even if somebody comes through this after having their ICU experience and, you know, you folks have like done everything you can to keep somebody alive, like that fight's not over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not just, uh, oh, they were in the ICU and they'll be going home now. Like their life is permanently changed. A lot of people won't be the same person they were before they went into hospital. And when they come out of an ICU stay, whether it's with COVID or something else. I think that's pretty profound, actually. And I think that isn't something that people are thinking about. And what about for staff? Do you think staff are ever going to be the same? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're a different breed, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, It's changed everyone, hey? Yeah. Working where you do and seeing all the things that you do, is there anything that you would want to say to someone who's hesitant about vaccines or doesn't have as much information as you do? Um, I would just say to do your research, um, but that also you, it's, it's very easy in hindsight to wish you would have gotten a vaccine. Um, 
and you you just nobody thinks it's going to happen to them nobody mm-hmm. thinks they will get that sick from it or they think they would know if they had it um but that's that's proving not the case that's what's different about this virus than other viruses um it's affecting people that we didn't think it would affect mm-hmm. that's a big part of why we're in this crisis that we're in that's important Yes, thanks for thanks for saying that. Well, I think that's as good a place as any to leave it. And so with that, I'll say thank you so much for taking the time and mm-hmm. sharing your experience, um, especially after a long. First of all, you're like, come, you're telling us how hard it's been. And then we're like, hey, you want to come chat? Um, so just so much gratitude that you took the time. Mm-hmm. And I hope that people listening get a better perspective of what folks are experiencing in your line of work. And yes, thank you. And take care of yourself, please. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to share. And now it's time for us to pause for momentum. An ode to frontline workers. For all that you do, risking your own health, overwhelmed and overworked, never stopping, always giving more to keep us all safe. Little do we know the toll incurred behind the scenes, nerves frayed to breaking, exhausted beyond recognition. We see you, each and every one of you, our gratitude immeasurable, respect for you incomparable, keeping calm and carrying on, even with so much remaining uncertain. Remain assured that we are in your debt. Superheroes among us, no capes required. We acknowledge that Gaining Momentum is recorded, produced, and edited on the unceded territory of the Selic Okanagan people and the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Enina, Oji Cree, Dena, and Dakota peoples and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. Gaining momentum. Gaining hosted Megan and Abby. With artwork by Catherine Katja. With music by Evan Dysart. Please check our show notes with each episode for more information on Catherine and Evan, plus how you can stay in touch with us through email, Instagram, and Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you.